you're doing it for the right reason, if you're really doing it for yourself, then it doesn't matter if you're passing or failing in the end. Um, you know, there's certainly people who do it for the extrinsic motivation of like getting the accolades from other people. And I think that makes failure a lot tougher. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Imagine trying to run five days straight, 20 hours a day, and traveling 440 kilometers through the deep bush. Well, that's exactly what my guest today, Alyssa Godeski, has achieved and set a record in the Vermont Long Trail, which is 273 miles in total. Absolutely incredible achievement, awe inspiring. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did in recording it because it's just incredible. And, you know, thinking about and, and understanding her mindset and how this came to be is absolutely incredible. Enjoy. This is a podcast that I've been waiting to go out and do for some time with uh, Alyssa Godeski. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who's an incredible athlete with, with amazing achievements, uh, you know, holding phenomenal, phenomenal records in, in uh, I suppose if I could call it ultra marathon or ultra trail uh, running, she holds the, the rugged 273 mile Vermont long trail um, record uh, doing that in five days, two hours and 37 minutes, uh, which is incredible because it's a, you know, 273 miles for, for the Aussies listening. That's 440 kilometers in five days. Absolutely phenomenal. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hi Nash. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Look, I'm, I, I must say I'm, I'm in absolute awe uh, of your achievements. I, I, I've been watching a little bit of you know, our ultra marathon running and, and, and listening to others who are, you know, as, as um, you know, in that space of impressiveness as, as yourself. And I just think from a psychological perspective, it, it, it holds everything, you know, there, there, there's so much of, of, you know, the game, so to speak is, is in your head. Um, uh, and I'd love, you know, this opportunity to, to pick your brain and, and, and find out more. It is. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it right there, right? Like, I always take a look at athletes that I'm competing against or that I see out, you know, in the, the world. And I'm like, they would make such a good ultra marathon, you know, like they have the physical stuff, but it doesn't mean everything if you don't have that mental side of it, both to want to do it, first of all, but then also to be able to have that that drive and just kind of what it takes behind that even to keep going for the ultra stuff. So you nailed it that it's, it's a lot of mental stuff. So hopefully some of the listeners are interested in maybe getting into it and can pick up a, a few tips and tricks along the way here. Well, for me, what's, what's so exciting and, and certainly not taking away from, from your achievement of, of, you know, setting these records and, and the uh, many ultra marathons and marathons that, 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 that you've run is in actual fact everything that happens well, well, well before the actual um, race. You know, it's, it, to me, that's the most impressive bit. You know, it's incredible to go out and see five days of running and, you know, blood, sweat and tears and hell. Uh, but that must be there every other day when no one else is watching. 
Yeah. I mean, people ask a lot about training for the Vermont long trail. Everyone wants to know how you train for something like that. And I think they, you know, they may think I'm getting like a bit cheeky when I'm like, well, actually I've probably started training back in 2011, you know, um, without even knowing that that was my ultimate goal quite yet. Um, it was definitely, you know, those early years of the foundations I was building of quite honestly, to put it simply doing hard things, right. And doing that day after day and year after year. So that fast forward to 2018, not only could my body handle the specific training for the long trail when it came time to do that, but also I just had that, you know, consistency and, um, that drive already built in me from, from years and years. Um, and that, you know, like you said, that was really the crux of what the long trail was. It wasn't necessarily those five days of execution. It was everything that went into it is what I got out. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't great because of those five days. It was great because of the years and the months and everything that I had put in to be able to get myself to those five days. What is it that gets someone involved in this sort of space? You know, you're obviously speaking from, from yourself, you know, did it start prior to 2011 or is this when you kind of made a, a very specific commitment to start, you know, competing or training, you know, uh, for these types of events? Yeah, for me, I guess it started um, really back. I mean, you could go way back, I guess. Um, Let's you know, do it. In my, go back. I know, we have time, right? So in my early childhood, my dad often just entered me. I was a competitive soccer player growing up. Like that was my sport. Um, but I was the goalie. So it's funny. I wasn't always <laughs> running around and stuff, right? I actually didn't love, I, I always was trying to get out of more running actually as a child, which is interesting. So maybe I was saving that all up for my adulthood, but I, my dad did enter me with him. He liked to do just recreational five K's, 10 K's, the occasional 10 mile, things like that. And so he would just enter me. And I was so young at that time that I was winning the like 12 and under age group at a 10 mile event, you know? And so, um, that I almost think built in me, you know, it instilled a lot of confidence in me because I, I wasn't old enough to really put everything in perspective to say, okay, Alyssa, you were the only one in that age group. Of course you won. Right. I was just like, well, I won like this must mean I'm good at it. And so I always had, you know, as silly as that might've been, or as like, you know, wrong as that might've been that I was actually quite good. Um, I had that in me from a young age. And so then, you know, I played soccer and, um, it, really focused on that more. Go ahead. Sorry, Alyssa. What, what was it? You had it in you in terms you were good or you had it in you in terms of you were willing to kind of walk those miles. I mean, I, I think about my children, if I were to say, come on, we're going for a walk, you know, not even, not even half a kilometer in, I'd be hearing about it. Right. I, I, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're a lot younger, but, um, I don't imagine that'll change very much when they're, you know, 10, 11, 12, they're going to be saying, dad, you know, this sucks. This is boring. You know, like a, a, when's this going to end? You know, the, was it just in you or was it the relationship that you had with your dad? What, 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 what do you think was, was the element? I think when I was, when I was really young, like 10 or younger, I think I did think I was good. You know, my, my thought process probably wasn't much more complex than that, but as I, evolved and probably it was it was probably in my college time frame so at university when 
um, I really, that was when my endurance sports kind of career really started. And um, that was when I started to realize, you know, by then I had the reality check of, I wasn't that good because, you know, I didn't run in college. I, I, I hadn't made these like top, you know, tier events and things like that through college athletics. So I knew that there were people plenty good, like much better than I was at that point. Right. But I did start to realize at that point that it was, you know, there was a couple paths I could take, especially in sport. And there was definitely a path of if you were willing to do maybe the harder thing or willing to kind of suffer a little bit more, then that could be a strength and that could get you to be good in this other sense, right? And so it definitely, but it wasn't until I would say I was firmly an adult where I kind of had that, that thinking to be able to figure that out. Um, but like I said, like my, my childhood was full of kind of all sorts, sorts of sports. I did a little bit of swimming and, um, you know, that running with my dad and soccer. And then when I got to college, I actually spent my first two years at the Naval Academy. So I thought I wanted to be in the Navy when I was first going to college and at the Naval Academy, they require you to play a sport. And so I had been playing lacrosse for my first year there. And then I actually had a teammate who um, had a, a terrible skydiving accident, actually. And so when she, um, she passed away after resulting from injuries from that accident, and I was just really close to her on the team. And I really couldn't bring myself at that point to get back on the lacrosse field. Um, you know, it was just, it was a hard time. There was a lot of grief and I just was really struggling with that, but eventually the academy found out that I hadn't gone back to play lacrosse, and so they were like, you, you have to still play a sport. That's a requirement. So I reached out with a friend to the marathon team, which is quite unique for a university to have like a team that's just running marathons, usually a track or cross country or something like that. So, And I said, hey, can I join you guys instead? Like, This seems like I like to run, maybe you know, I can do it now, now that I'm an adult, I like to run. So, um, they said you can try out and typically their standard is you have to qualify for the Boston marathon to be able to be on the marathon team. But they, this was for us in the States, it was the fall and they had already done their fall marathon qualification running thing. So they said, you know what though, a few people are running the JFK 50 mile event, which is one of the oldest ultra marathons in the United States. And this was back in, had to have been 2006. So way before the ultra running, like endurance sports boom had really happened. And you could get into races like this on short notice. And so that race was in three weeks. And I said, all right, you know, they basically said, if you finish, we'll take you on the team. And so I was like, well, just finish. Like I can definitely just finish. So I walked out the door that day and I ran 16 miles. And then I said to myself, like, surely I can run 50, you know? And then I, yeah, I signed up, I went and I ran that. And then they, they had to take me on the team. That was our deal after that. So that, you know, time frame really is what got me into endurance sports because I had, I had tricked a couple of girlfriends of mine into running the JFK 50 as well with me. And we finished that race. Everyone did finish. And I loved it. I mean, we were all so sore. It was really painful, everything. But I was on cloud nine. And, you know, the next morning I still woke up and was like, I can't even crawl out of bed. But, like, I love this. 
And the other two women were like, yeah, we're never doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, thanks for that, Alyssa, you know, and we'll see you. We will not do that. So that, you know, moment I started to realize like, okay, this could, this is really what, you know, I'm, I'm finding value in. And so that was like the start, I guess, of, of endurance sports for me in, in 2006. And I continued to run there for a bit. I did get on the marathon let, let, team. Let me just let me just jump in. What what was it like with three weeks training doing, you know, Australian terms in kilometers, sixty kilometers? You know, a normal marathon is forty-two kilometers. You know, you did sixty. That's you know an extra third on top. That's a huge amount of 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 you know kilometers. They say that, I guess, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, I had no idea. My friends had no idea. We just did not know what we were doing. And if you think back, you know, 2006 was this time where the internet was certainly a thing, but it wasn't, social media wasn't as big, right? So the knowledge sharing of information and things like that wasn't quite as easy. So we were really just making our own like best thoughts. And in some ways I wonder, did the fact that information wasn't so readily available, like we couldn't just Google it, find what someone else did and then do that. Right. Like it was much harder than that to really get that sort of information. So we had to kind of think through the process. Right. And like, I think that probably forced us to do a little bit more in depth, you know, um, in terms of just really, I don't even know, like preparing a little, I mean, three weeks, we couldn't prepare too much physically. Right. But we did have to certainly like look around and see what we could find and then, you know, do our best. But like I said, there was so much we didn't know. And we just, I think, accepted the fact that it would be learning and process. Like every step of that day was going to be a learning experience. And it sure was, but we were just determined you know, we had no expectations. We had, you know, none of that pressure or anything. It was just get yourself to the finish line one way or another. And so that definitely gives you a little bit more freedom, I think, when you're, when you're doing an event like that, to not have that pressure and those expectations. And, you know, looking at the endurance sports boom, like I think that's why so many people come over now because they are looking for something where they, they don't know how they'll do. There's not, you know, firm expectations to know like this is a 5k race. Of course I can get to the end of the the 5k, you know, I've done this 10 times and this is my best time. Like in endurance sports, you get to the start of a 60k, you know, a hundred K race. And depending on the terrain, it's going to be so different than if you even have done it before. So I think that those early years of, of doing the endurance sports for me was just very like freeing, you know, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. It was great. That was part of the, the, the attraction. You had an idea. There were no limiting beliefs because you had no one to, to reference on, you know, there, there's no internet to say, you know, don't be crazy. You can't prepare in three weeks to go out and do you know, 50K JFK run. Um, it was like, yep, let's go and do it. There was obviously a fair bit of determination and doing it with, with, with some friends, but it must have been some excruciating pain on, on, on the way, you know, to completing that, to, 
did, did, did you think about quitting at any time? That, was that going, you know, those early days going through your mind about, will I achieve this? Will I get to the end? Or, or there was something, you know, stronger and more, 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 more determined inside you that said, no, I'm, I'm getting through no matter what, irrespective of the pain. One of the perks of that particular race being my first one is that it, it is so big. Like the participation in that is one of the biggest that exists in the, in the United States for that distance. And so I was around, especially running in that time frame. I ended up finishing just over nine hours, I believe. So that time frame has like a lot of people, you know, running in that time frame. So I had the benefit of just being around people, you know, it wasn't like some of these events, which I've done since where I'm out in the middle of nowhere for hours on end by myself and questioning everything, right? This was much more social. I had people around who were excited that I was there because people hadn't seen a 19 year old woman running these things very often, right? And so they were just like, where did you come from? How did you hear about this? Like, why are you running this? You know, and um, to be honest, I, I'm sure I was in a lot of pain at some times, but I don't remember a specific point in that race. You know, there have been plenty of other races where I definitely really wanted to quit. Um, but that one, I think the, the stars did align to give me a lot of, you know, help, whether I realized how much it was helping or not to have people with me. Um, the other part of endurance sports, which is funny is usually, during the time that you want to quit, you know, it's not like you're a half a mile or, you know, 800 meters away from your hotel room and can just kind of walk away. Like you're probably pretty far. From. <laughs> so at that point, you just may as well just keep going. And then sure enough, you kind of climb out of that darker patch and then and find you're like, okay, maybe I can keep going. So I think that's one of the benefits that um, ultra running definitely has, especially trail running is that usually, you know, the times when you really want to just stop are rarely align with the time that like you're being helped by a crew and could just easily get into a car or something like that. And how long are those periods of being in the dark? You know, the, those dark places, we're talking, you know, a couple of minutes, we're talking a couple of hours, you know, where, where you're kind of really, I'm, I'm assuming deliberating about whether I keep going or not or whether I, I, I start walking or, or continue to try running, you know. How, how long are these spaces be, be, be between breaking through the wall, so to speak? You know, it, it feels – Yeah, I mean, it feels like forever, you know, but then – you look at it and honestly, it's minutes. Like I would say it's very rare that you're in a place like that for hours and hours. Um, typically it's like related to fuel and hydration. Like that's such an important part of, of learning to be able to push your body for that long a time. And so once you start to get more experience and you realize like you're heading down this path and like, as soon as you start to have those doubts and those, those thoughts of like, just the thoughts turn negative instead of positive. And they can just be so, so small that you, you want to gain the experience so that you have the awareness to sense that and to be like, oh, wait, I just had, I just went from feeling good, you know, and enjoying this to wondering how much longer I'm going to be out here. And that's not so good, right? And so what ha have I eaten recently? You know, am I sticking to my nutrition plan? Am I sticking to my hydration plan and things like that? And 
typically it is, it's calories. Like if you, you know, and I think that happens to people in everyday life too, right? If you don't have your meal, like you get a little, you get a little snappy, right? So in endurance sports, that's just amplified. And so that's a, a huge part of the experience and the learning for people to take with them is that, you know, calories are everything in, in that sport. And if you can remember that and be sure to like eat and drink plenty, you often can pull yourself out of those dark moments. And it would really be, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes instead of an hour or two hours. Because if you don't reverse that, it'll, it will, it will just keep going south. And do you slow your pace while this is going on or, or you know, you, you have a time in your mind that I'm, I'm keeping a pace. I'm trying to, you know, have particular type of split times, you know, per, per kilometer or however, however you do it, or do you kind of see you start wavering and, 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 you know, there's a kind of an external uh, wrestling match also going on. Yeah, it depends a lot on the event. And I think it, again, I've kind of evolved as I've gotten more competitive. I mean, there were, I remember races where I used to make pizza the night before and I would then like wrap the pizza in foil and like stick that in my backpack and have that in my drop bags along the course that they bring out, you know, and I would stop and like eat meals, you know, and then as I became more competitive, it turned, you know, there's so many sports nutrition products out there now. And so when it's something um, like a 100K or or less, really, you know, you can move quite quickly through that kind of a distance. And so you do, you want to minimize like the, the time that you're stopping to just be like faffing and eating and everything else, right? So you want to have everything be like very streamlined, very efficient. And so for that kind of thing, you can combine your hydration and your calories into one kind of sports mix and just literally be like eating on the move. Um, and so that's really helpful. But then when you get into the longer events you do, you have to be conscious of that time that's added too, because, you know, you look at some people and you say that they're actually running quite quickly, but like, how are they finishing so far behind you? You know? And then you think about it and you're like, Oh, well, this person's stopping for two or three minutes at every aid station. And there's, you know, 10 aid stations in a long event like that. And that's a half an hour, you know? So if you don't think about that ahead of time, it, it adds up to be a ton of time. Um, and so a lot of that just becomes practice and, um, you know, just really making the time to work through that in your training, which is, super boring to like trial and error and figure that kind of thing out. It's not a super fun aspect of training. And, um, I think tends to get skipped by a lot of people, but if it is something you can prioritize, you, you know, if you want to be at the top level, you need to. So what happens after the JFK 50? You, you mentioned, obviously you're like, wow, this is great. Love the pain. You know, this is awesome. And your girlfriends kind of say, Never again. We're not, we're not getting sucked into this ever again with you. What happens next? I found another one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I did. I started to research other events and um, I ended up realizing I did not want to be in the Navy. So at the same time, I was transferring from the Naval Academy to the University of Virginia, um, which the University of Virginia is in Charlottesville, Virginia, and it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So 
it just so happened, and this wasn't on purpose on my account, you know, surprisingly, that trail running and ultra running is a huge sport in that area. So, and it was even back then. And so, can you explain just for our listeners the difference between obviously ultra running and trail running? Yeah. So, ultra running is just technically defined as anything over the length of a marathon. So, anything over 42 kilometers would be considered an ultra marathon. The most popular distances are probably like 50K, 100K. Um, and then hundred mile, which in kilometers, that's 160 kilometers. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, um, those are the most popular distances, but they can be, you know, any sort of random thing. Trail running is exactly what it sounds like. It's just, you know, going for a run and, and being on dirt instead of pavement. And so, um, there's a lot of variations in terms of what terrain that could mean, but that's, kind of the gist of it so and i've seen some of your videos of, of, of you literally running in in the scrub in the bush you know there's there's roots you know there's things to trip over on uh, you know there's branches coming out things that you're kind of scampering up on uh you know from very flat to, to very steep it, it's kind of like being in the full bush you know it, it, it it's crazy it's not a, like a you know just being on a well grated you know nice leisurely you know uh, dirt road it's 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 rough it can be so yeah i mean trail runners will have their like their strengths and their um preferences right and so you'll pick up through this conversation that my preference is always to make it as hard as possible (laughs) because i don't have that natural speed and so it needs to be as technical and like steep and crazy um, as it can be, and then I'll do better there as things shake out, right? So that's always the my worse preference. It gets. <laughs> right. But there are certainly trail runners who, you know, that's why I picked Vermont for my like record attempt, and I didn't uh, pick a trail that's nicely groomed and quite, you know, easy to run along and straightforward and things like that. So both definitely would count as trail running, but you kind of you pick your poison, I guess. Sure. So some are much, much more, um, you know, graded, but it, 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 it is still a trail rather than, you know, uh, on the road, so to speak. Yeah. And in the beginning too, if people are looking to get into trail running, you know, um, it's quite common that people mix hiking and running, um, on the trails until they get their footing and quite honestly, build some strength to be able to really run the entire thing. Um, you know, even still, there's so much of what I do that's people just would consider hiking and, you know, I'm hiking quite hard and at a fast pace, but it's pretty impossible sometimes to always be running, especially when you do prefer the really steep, gnarly terrain and stuff like that. So if people are looking to get out on trails and they're like, this is impossible to run, you know, it might very well be. And so definitely give yourself a little bit of grace and have some patience and just try hiking out on the trails for a bit. And then slowly you realize that it does, you know, you'll be able to evolve and to be able to run more and more of it and, and so on as you go. So what was the next event that you chose? Let's see back then. I think, you know, it was this, the Bethel Hill moonlight boogie boogie and it was a 50, another 50 miler. And it started in June, which in the States in North Carolina is quite hot and humid. So they started us, I want to say at 6 PM and you ran through the night to get a little bit cooler weather. Um, and that was the second one I picked for ultra marathons. And 
uh, again, I found myself on the start line and I looked around and it was all like, you know, middle-aged men for the most part. And then some women were in the back, but I was like, no, I'm competing in this. So I was like right on the front and people looked at me like I was crazy. And I actually, I, I ended up winning the women's race and I did quite well overall. And that was a much smaller race than JFK was anyway. But again, it was like, I had almost been able to find the same thing, right? Like from when I was younger (laughs) and it was just like, not a lot of people were doing those events. So I was at the top. And once again, I found this, you know, little niche of a sport where uh, there weren't a lot of people doing. So I was able to do quite well. And I took that with me as I went to the University of Virginia and to Charlottesville. And I got a part-time job at the running store in town there. And I was super lucky. The owners of the running store at that time were very experienced trail runners. And they like totally took me in under their wing and were huge mentors to me that, um, that was when, you know, because we didn't have the internet, like at our fingertips to give us all of the information you could ever want they became like invaluable to me and just taught me a lot of the missing pieces at that point because I didn't know too much, especially about nutrition at that point. I was still really learning about that. Um, Just pacing and terrain and quite honestly, even how to feel comfortable just out in the woods, um, you know, on your own and how to read a map and how to be able to plan a trail run and things like that. And so while I had those two years in Charlottesville with them, um, it was, like I said, such an invaluable friendship and uh, mentorship for that I was able to just kind of soak it all in and be a sponge as much as I could um, for the knowledge that they they were passing on to me. And I was doing some races here and there, but I was also in college at that time. And having left the Naval Academy and going to, quote, real college, you know, um, it was, you know, I wasn't someone who was like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I am going to dedicate, you know, my life to making great decisions to, for training and things like that. You know, I was being a college student and going out and having fun and then also getting up quite early and driving out to the mountains to do these races and these runs. So I was like doing, you know, finding that balance of both. But by no means at that point in time was I like, thinking I would ever be a professional athlete. It sounds crazy balancing, obviously, you know, college or what we call university here in Australia, part-time work, trail running, socializing, you know, trying to, you know, balance all those balls. But I imagine your training was still pretty, pretty tough. If you're, if you're doing sort of these 50 milers, Um, that doesn't kind of just happen by itself, I suppose. Yeah, at that point, I will, you know, my training now um, makes the training I was doing then like look like nothing, but it was definitely (laughs) probably, you know, it was like, and I say this to athletes that I coach too, like it was enough to get me to the finish line clearly, right? And then it also just, you know, at that point in time, ultra running and trail running was just fun for me. And so it wasn't over the training wasn't overwhelming you know had it been something where i felt like i had to prioritize it all the time above friends and having fun and and that aspect like i think i would have not enjoyed it as much and then who knows if i would have stuck with it for very long so 
the fact that it just kind of fit into this part of my life where some of my close friends who own the, you know, they had the, the owners of the running store had evolved into this great friendship for me. And so that kind of doubled as training time sometimes, you know, getting to spend time with them and some of the other people I met through running. And I think most endurance athletes will tell you at some point in their lives, there's this kind of fork where it is like your social circle becomes also your training circle. And that was the start of it for me. And, you know, I still had college friends and and that sort of thing, but for sure, I was starting to realize that you could train and have fun and build friendships and like these lasting meaningful relationships through running and, and sport that way. So I, I'm not sure I necessarily, you know, really picked up on that theme at the time, but it was just kind of happening under the surface there so that when I left college, well, when I graduated and, um, you know, moved on for a career, my instinct to be able to move to a new city and find a social circle became, let me see what running groups there are. Let me see what kind of athletes there are in the city just because I knew that could then help me keep training and give me a base of friendship in a new place. And so that was how I transitioned from um, college into, I moved to Baltimore city and in Maryland. And that was kind of close to where I grew up. So, you know, again, like I knew people there and I would have had friends either way, but I had now a couple years under me of like, there are people doing these really fun things that I like to do. Like, let me find those people, you know? Um, and so that was around 2008. And at this time, you know, the internet was starting to take off a little bit more and social media was more of a thing and people were blogging and it was a lot easier then to connect with those like-minded people. And I was beginning to find more people my age as well, which was nice. Um, the ultra running community, you know, like, like I said, when I first got into it, it was a lot of middle-aged people, which was fine for me as a 20 year old, but it was nice to then get somewhere where I could find people doing endurance sports that were a little bit closer to my age and, and my interests and that sort of thing. In some sense, you did this, this, you know, one-off, uh, JFK run turned into a community for you. you. You really embraced it, enjoyed it. There were people in that space who in some sense were surprised by, by you and your, your enthusiasm and kind of, you know, were, were interested in you kind of took them under, took you under their wing. So, so, so to speak, and some incredible people at the running store, you found a community in, in post sort of college. It was like, it was clear. I'm going to maintain this connection with my friends and, and, and the friends was, was the running space. The, the, it, 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 there's some sort of kind of like gelling of the two spaces. Uh, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, just realizing that, you know, I think my running friendships and my sport friendships were just bringing together a lot of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, you know, and it, sport brings together people of all sorts of backgrounds and, just all sorts of, you know, jobs and everyone's coming from different places, but they're all there to go for a run, you know? And so I loved that. Like I loved just getting to meet new people and it was just, I wasn't particularly extroverted. So it wasn't like I was someone who could, you know, I wasn't making new friends 
otherwise, like super easily. Like I would have probably been happier to sit at home, but okay, this run is happening. I'm going to go to the run. And then through that, I was able to make these friendships and just meet these people that it was just so, you know, it was like stimulating to me. It was much more interesting than just meeting the same type of people that look like yourself and do the same things and, and all of that. So it was, you know, I think has contributed greatly to me becoming who I am now, you know, 14, 15 years later that I was brought into the sporting community at that time in my life. How did it move from, you know, an interest of yours, you know, something that you, you like doing and obviously that you found somewhat of a social family in, how did it move into being, you know, more of a professional scene for you? Yeah. So when I got to Baltimore, I was working the corporate world. I was in banking um, at first and I, you know, was doing just kind of the social stuff like for running and, and training. And um, I had also begun to pick up triathlon a little bit because the running group that I joined in Baltimore, several of those people were very big into triathlon and having done a 50 mile race, I said, well, of course I could do an Ironman, you know, like the time frame is about the same or so. And an Ironman, you can just ride your bike for most of it. So surely, you know, I can make my way through that. And again, like ignorance is bliss, Alyssa, right? So um, I, it was pretty soon after. So I moved to Baltimore in 2008. And I think by 2009, I was doing my first Ironman. And I, you know, again, like I did it and I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is something different. This is something new and the freedom of the cycling that I was picking up was really cool because in Baltimore city, you know, it was a stark contrast to Charlottesville. There was not a lot of trails really at all to have access to the mountains were not there anymore. I couldn't just kind of get out and go for a long time in Baltimore, but I could when I was riding my bicycle. So as I picked up cycling, I was able to find a lot of that freedom and that that just sense of escape in a way that I, you know, had found in trail running in Charlottesville. So that was really cool for me. And I had swam a little bit as a kid. And so I knew the basics of the strokes. And so getting into the pool wasn't too much of a barrier for me, which it is for a lot of people. Um, and again, like I had developed the basic skill set, right, from playing soccer through my life and training for some of these running things, just the, the discipline and the understanding of, okay, if you get up every day and you do an hour of exercise, right? Like you're going to get more fit and you're going to get more ready. And if your end goal is to do an Ironman, like I should spend some of those times swimming, some of those times biking and some of those times running. Like that was as simple as my kind of thought process was. And you know, I was applying other principles I had learned from running, like, okay, sometimes you want to run hard, sometimes you want to run easy. So I do the same with swimming and the same with biking. And, you know, and sport is pretty black and white in that sense, you know, like, there's not a lot people will let you think that there's rocket science out there, but it's not rocket science. Like, it's pretty basic, especially when you're in the beginning phases of it, and just trying to get your body just going and used to that sort of thing. So the things I was doing was getting me again to the finish line, you know, of these events that I was just kind of pulling out of a hat, like this would be fun. And, um, 
it's fascinating hearing you talk. Sorry to jump in, but it's kind of like I did my Iron Man. I did it. Like that. That's the explanation of it. It's kind of like you know, you you just get up and you know, if you need to go do an Ironman, then you run for a little bit, you swim for a little bit, you cycle for a little bit. It's it's incredible how your mind just kind of chunks it down and says, "Well, that's just what you do." Like, you know, what's everyone know, surprised I'm, about? The listeners probably hate <laughs> that I'm saying it like that, but it, you know, you you do kind of have to, I think when you want to tackle endurance sports, be like, I want to do this. How are you going to do it? Well, you just start, you know, and you just keep doing it. Um, like, and I even have moments like that now with all of my experience, you know, like I'll be at a swim practice and it's like, Oh, I don't want to do this set, you know? And I look at my swim partner and I say, how are we going to do this? And she's like, well, you just do it. You know, (laughs) like sometimes it is, it's about just kind of closing your eyes metaphorically and putting your head down and doing it right and has that become easier with the experience in that you know you, you get acclimatized to the idea of you know i don't feel like doing it right now can't be stuffed i'm tired i can do it later there's something else on you know i've got something that i need to kind of attend to also like all these kind of if i can just use them reasons or you know someone might even use the word excuses but yeah you're, you're kind of like i'm just going to do it it, de- it definitely gets easier for sure. Like you, you develop little tricks and you get to know yourself better. Um, you know, like I know for me, I need to get up early and get the chunk of what I need to do done. And then, you know, I have my day and things like that. Um, and I, you do, you just get used to doing, you know, rolling out of bed and starting before you can even think of an excuse not to. Um, but I think a lot of people assume that someone who's a professional athlete or someone who's really fast and it, that it comes easy to them. And I think that's like a huge misconception because it, it's a skill, you know, it's something that we've all had to work at and really develop. And the great thing is, as, is that it is a skill, you know, it's not like this inherent thing. And if you don't have it now, that doesn't mean you're never going to have it. It means you have to work at it and you have to develop it. And, um, it's still, there are still days when it's plenty hard, you know, and it's, it's the same with getting faster. Like people assume that the people at the front of the race are just kind of, it feels good to go that fast. And like, no, it feels like death, you know, <laughs> like it feels so hard to go that fast. Um, and like, it feels probably just as hard to the person at the back end of the race, you know, but, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I think a lot of that, you know, getting into endurance sports is again, like releasing some of these preconceived notions that you have that it's going to be easy at some point, or it's going to be, you know, um, something that kind of comes more naturally at some point. Like it is a skill you work on Mm. every single day and you're going to have those doubts creep in constantly. The the preconceived ideas that I imagine you've previously held that in in some sense you don't anymore because you've, tested those ideas you've pushed a little bit further you've gone beyond them the even the idea that you can wake up early and and train a lot of people say that that's impossible i'd be too tired for the rest of the day you know i don't have the time the energy or i've got other responsibilities something comes up right you're kind of talking about this isn't something that's inherently something that's biologically in you and that you're special or somehow you've been gifted with all of this. This is work, uh, effort. It's, this is a skill you've gone and honed and, and, and 
you know, beat into into practice uh, that 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 now is a little bit easier, but still requires huge volume of of effort. Effort and caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's like I think because because in these years, right, that we were kind of talking about now, I was starting to get more serious with training, and I was starting to. Uh, really, you know, I, I had talked to some people about how you kind of get to the next level. And one of that, those things was to get a coach. And so I had reached out to a few people and ended up hiring Hillary Biscay, who I've worked with ever since 2010. And she is an Ironman world champion or Ironman champion, Ultraman world champion. You know, she's done all sorts of crazy events like myself too. And so I knew she was the one to kind of help me get to the next level. But in our early years of working together until 2014, I was balancing my career too. You know, like I didn't know for sure that um, I was going to be able to, to leave the corporate world and, and to actually race full time and train full time. And so yeah, like I was getting up early and then training and then working and then training. And well, give, I was, give me, give, of course, I was tired. Detail. Give me some detail there. Well, what time were you working? Uh, sorry, waking. What sort of training were you doing? You know, uh, time, intensity, volume. Can, can you tell, talk me through the day? What would a day usually look like? Yeah, I'd usually get up around probably f- between 4.30 and 5, depending. And so, um, you know, a lot of days... I'd be swimming first. And so the the pool opened at 5 a.m., which was like, I was so excited for this, right? I was like, oh, good. It opens early. Like a lot of pools don't open that early. So you can get in right at five. You know, you can swim for an hour. You can go change really quick. And then I would do like a run or something like that. So, you know, between five to seven, 7.30, given all the the logistics of changing and things like that, you're done. And then I would shower really quick at the gym, you know, usually have some sort of a breakfast waiting or like a plan of how I was getting breakfast or something. As I got to work from there, I'd be eating in the car, brushing my hair in the car. Like, you know, my hair would be still wet and I'd have goggle marks on my face and I'd be like turning the, the, um, heat vents on high to like dry my hair to try and look presentable for work, like things like that. Um, and then, you know, I was in my early twenties, so I was trying to work really hard. You know, I I certainly didn't have a career where like I could stroll in at whatever hour and people would be doing the work. Like I was one of the minions who had to be there early to be doing those, that work. So, you know, I'd get in and, um, would work pretty much like eight to six type of hours. Um, you know, I transitioned, I had a couple jobs in Baltimore and most of them were about like that eight to six time frame, And, um, then I would leave work at six and most days would go home and probably, hop on my bike or something like that, or maybe do another run. Um, there was a time when I had some, uh, probably like an hour, you know, maybe an hour and a half. Um, I was really lucky. I had some roommates through the years that often were cooking dinner and would like just make me a plate too. And that helped kind of streamline things a lot. But, you know, it was like I was heavily caffeinated during that time period. And I, I never really advocate that for everyone all the time. Um, because if, you know, looking back, I knew that this was something I could do for a while. Um, this was definitely not something I could sustain for like a decade or more. And so it just took me some time. And this was part of the reason I had 
brought on Hillary to work with me is because she had also, um, you know, kind of taken a similar path where she had to figure out how to make it so she could race full time. And so she mentored me in that aspect. And one of the big things was like saving money. Right. And so like basically work your butt off in these years, you're going to be really tired. You're going to be like burning the candle at both ends, but save a bunch of money, put in the work and, you know, start to just kind of build that foundation that we can then use hopefully a few years down the line. And so, um, because the results, like the results would have to be there for you to be able to, to do it full time. Right. So you, it's interesting. Cause it's, you know, when, when, when people think about how does someone go out and become, you know, successful in, in whatever their sport and, you know, in your case, ultra marathons and, and the like, people aren't necessarily thinking you've got to save money, right? The, the, the logistics of life and how it's all done. It, it, everyone thinks about it's just about how you train and, and, and the like, but it, the rest of life has to go on and you've got to go out and, and, and have a, a very strong training and discipline in saving, you know, how, how you run your finances so that you can get to the next race or, you know, you know, have a little bit of time off when you need to at some point. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. And that's like a big difference. You know, people here are professional athlete and of course you kind of always jump to like NFL players or like golf or something, you know, and there's a lot of tennis. There's like a lot of money in some of those sports that have been really around for a while and have like unions for the players and things like that, where you can get healthcare and um, you're guaranteed a salary if you're ranked high enough and things. But the sports I was doing triathlon and ultra running were not nearly, you know, they still aren't there. Was there prize money back then? There, there was prize money. And honestly, it was probably more prize money back then than there is now, which is kind of bad. Um, But ultra running at that time had nothing. No, I mean, you know, give or take no real prize money up to speak. And so it was, it was like, you know, you can, it came down to, I could work a million hours a week and not love my job. Like it was fine, but you know, and then just be really tired because I was trying to train the other hours or I could work ultimately probably the same amount of time but actually really enjoy what I was doing because I'd be putting my time and effort into the sporting stuff. So I always knew that I wasn't such a elite level athlete that I was going to be able to get away with living on prize money alone and things like that. Like I knew I was always going to have to hustle to make this kind of lifestyle work. Um, but that's what, again, you know, I mean, Hillary had done the same thing and I think it helped a lot for me to know she had been in my shoes and she had done it. And so, you know, I could, you know, it just takes that one person for you to really start to believe that it's possible and that you can do it too. And so I was just cruising and like drinking a lot of coffee, saving money, making my spreadsheets to try and figure out how it would work. And I was really lucky that in the end, um, in, you know, 2013, when I was getting ready to kind of take the leap and leave my job, the, the management that I had in that job was really supportive. So um, they a hundred percent, I think, you know, looked at me when I met with them to kind of tell them what was going on. We're like, you need to go try and do this. You can come back in six months if it's not going to work out. And so for sure, having that safety net, you know, having my parents be supportive, they weren't entirely too sure. I don't think what I was doing at the time, but 
they supported me and I knew I could fall back and, and lean on them a little bit if I had to, if, if things weren't going to work out like I thought. But um, I think when you do something like that, it, it takes some time of there's like that period of real uncertainty and you transition and you're, you know, you wake up every day and you really don't know, like, is this going to work? And then all of a sudden one day, like you hit a stride and you're like, you have that moment of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bed worrying. Like, am I going to have money to pay rent anymore? You know, I'm not going to bed worrying. Like, is this really the right decision? And for me, it was within six months of leaving my job that I felt like I wasn't, it wasn't on the forefront of my mind anymore. Like, was this the right decision? And so, you know, you know, pretty quickly, I think when you're doing something like this and I was just very fortunate and, um, really, you know, I, I don't want to discount how hard I had to work to get to that point. But, um, I think the, my willingness to hustle and my willingness still to be hustling and to figuring it out is, has paid off for me. And, um, you know, I've, I've definitely been able to make a successful career with it now. Obviously, uh, it sounds like what you're describing is fear, is is being scared about that leap and, you know, jumping into very much the unknown despite all of your incredible, you know, efforts to, to, to that point. One of your, I suppose, strengths or attributes that you're leaning on in that space is the hustle. Can you can you tell us take, tell us a little bit about what that means? What what does it mean for you? You know what what is the hustle? You know the yeah. Can you maybe just uh, flesh that out a bit for for our listeners? Yeah, in the beginning it was very cut and dry, like probably what you think I mean when I say it was the hustle. Like I left my job and I was working part time for a race management company. So like on the weekends we'd put on some events and I do some like marketing and things with them through the time. And then, but like that wasn't going to pay my rent alone. So I was also, I picked up a job as a nanny. Um, and that was a few nights a week. And I mean, I hadn't babysat since I was like in middle school, you know, and I was like, whatever, I'll do anything to, to make some money and make sure that, you know, nannying actually fit really well into my, um, like schedule wise. Um, the, the drawback is that kids carry a lot of germs. And so after a while I had to, um, you know, that was the first thing to go when it could because of the germ factor. I was getting sick all the time because I wasn't used to being around kids. But um, that was, it was also just fun because that was like just another outlet for me to be meeting people and like, you know, getting with these kids and having fun and just kind of forgetting like all of the stress of the athlete stuff that I had suddenly put on myself. Um, And then, you know, just always kind of thinking like that of like, just making sure I never got too complacent. And I think, you know, in the early days, it was a lot about money and it was a lot about that. But then since then, um, just career wise, like I've wanted to make sure that I took this leap and I did this thing and I want to make sure that I leave a legacy of sorts and I have left in my mark and I feel good when I'm ready to retire that like I'm ready to end that chapter. And I think that's taken a little bit of hustle to figure out too. And that is certainly how I ended up, um, you know, on the Vermont long trail because I, you know, had to figure out at some point, like, what is it that's going to make me 
um, the most successful given that with my career as a, as a professional athlete and what is it that's going to make me like the happiest when this chapter closes. And, um, so being able to make a career as a professional triathlete and also an ultra runner is not something that's done all the time. You know, these two things are, are very different. And so I've had to structure conversations with sponsors, um, you know, like differently than most people would because they have to understand that they're not getting like a cookie cutter image of the professional triathlete when they're working with me. And, um, you know, I, I've taken on, I co-host a podcast called Iron Women and, you know, that has been like a, a hustle of sorts for sure, just to, you know, have a platform to be able to inspire others and to share stories and to take part in this like huge insurgence of just women's sports and endurance stuff that's happening right now. Like I wanted, I want to give myself an avenue to maybe be doing that as I look at retiring at some point. So it's always been, you know, I'm always, I don't want to say I'm never satisfied because I certainly am, am quite satisfied with the things that I've done and I'm, I'm really happy with where I am, but I, that drive and that, like that push that I have that gets me to the finish line of a race is there in my everyday life too, in terms of what I'm working on and, and what I'm brainstorming and what projects have my time and energy. It sounds like without the hustle, none of this would have been possible. Have Have you learned that hustle somewhere to kind of, you know, you, you kind of describe in some sense, I had to work, so I didn't really care what I was doing. I just had to pick up work and trying to fit it in somehow, whether it's, you know, nanning or any other job. It, it, it didn't actually matter. That sort of sounds like it didn't actually matter. It was about, you know, they, they need, there's a requirement for having finances while I'm, you know, training and trying to put my all into this. Did you learn that hustle? Is it, did that happen as part of your training or as part of, you know, this sport? Was that something that you think, you know, came from, you know, being a younger person, how you were raised? Uh, did you see that in others? Was this part of your coaching that, that you were, you were getting? Where, where does that come from? That's a good question. I think, a big part of it was definitely how I was raised. Um, you know, I think my, my family was like upper middle class, you know, we weren't, um, things weren't really handed to me as a child, but I, I didn't have necessarily like a tough childhood either. Right. But, um, I was brought up in a way that was like, okay, you can, you can get what you want, but you have to work for it. And so, you know, if I wanted extra spending money, then I was going to be working at the snack shack at the pool, you know, like if I wanted to get my, um, you know, be able to buy something or whatever, like I had to get a job to then earn the money and my parents would help me with that. But like, they definitely instilled that like anything is possible, but make a plan and work for it. Right. And so I, you know, I look at my younger days and I see that reflected in a lot of a lot of things like that, where it's just like, you know, they said, okay, you want a car, you're going to be paying insurance. So how are you going to pay that? You know? And so that I think for me, I was able to translate that very easily into other parts of my life. And I never, because they had raised me that way, I never felt like there were limits where they said, well, no, you can't have that because we can't afford that or anything like that. It was you know, we can do it, but you have to work for it and you have to make that plan. And so 
when I was looking at like, okay, I want to leave the corporate world and I want to have this lifestyle. It was like, okay, but how, you know, like make your plan and start working on it. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that, like, well, that would be nice. You know, like I would love to do this or I would love to go there. or I would love to try this. And then they stop. Right. And I think I just, you know, I, I, I certainly owe a lot to my parents, I think, in raising me mm. that way that I inherently and just naturally want to take that next step and make that next planning. So whatever goal I'm then looking at, whether it's running the Vermont Long Trail or whether it's, you know, needing to, um, you know, travel to the next race or something like that, I, I always think it's possible, like sometimes to my own detriment. <laughs> Um, I just have to make that plan to get myself there. It sounds like, and please jump in. I don't want to go out and uh, tell your story in an incorrect way, but it sounds like, sounds like, uh, as part of how mum and dad raised you, there was this effort and reward that was connected continuously in terms of saying, sure, Lisa, if you want X, you can have that but you've got to do why and, and, and through a lifetime of that in terms of practice, you know, no different to the, the, the discipline of running, um, the discipline of practicing effort and reward creates self-efficacy and, and, and through self-efficacy when someone, you know, when an idea comes up about can I have that, your mind immediately says yes and the next part of the equation is you know, what's the doing part, you know, there's effort and reward. It's not just reward. And so people often dream, daydream, you know, fantasize about reward. That would be really lovely. That would be really nice. And you immediately fill the equation that, that, that you go, you know, yes, it would be lovely. And this is what efforts required, you know, even at a pot shop, because, you know, the, the reward isn't necessarily always there. The, the, the effort doesn't necessarily create um, very specific reward, at least it creates greater probability. Uh, but it sounds like the self-efficacy was something that you developed over time uh, and continue to, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming even now, you're, you're still hustling. Uh, there's, there's lots of things about hustling because, you know, you can't do ultramarathon running for, for forever. Forever, You're going to need a new hustle at some point. And, and, and um, you know, whether it's the podcast, I think you called Iron Woman, um, yeah. uh, or probably a bunch of other avenues that that that, that are coming up. That, 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 that's fascinating. Is that correct? Yeah, Firstly, I want to make sure I got that right. It absolutely is, and you know, it's not to say that then everything's a success. Like I think that's important to recognize, probably too, which you, I'm sure, know, right? Like there were there have been so many times where there have been failures, and it's you know, again, interesting if I look back on my life growing up I was a very type a person like I really did not like to fail at all um you know to the point that like I worked really hard in school and like I would you know I couldn't even imagine not getting like perfect marks in school and things like that you know and then somewhere through time I started to realize that failure actually is like not a terrible thing all the time right and so and again, I, I'm not sure where it was. I think probably it happened for me around the time frame, actually, like in college, where I realized that the Naval Academy wasn't for me. And I was, you know, ready to kind of carve out this new path. And I think it was a time where 
a lot of people would have looked at that and said like, oh, you failed, like you failed at the Naval Academy and you didn't want to do that or like, you know, and, and kind of called that a failure. And I think I just started to realize that, uh, you know, you, everything won't always work out and it's not always what you thought when, you know, when you get to the point B, like it might not be <laughs> the, the great thing that you imagined it would be. And so to understand that and to be able to roll with that in a sense and like reevaluate and then recalculate like where to go next from there was really important. And just that aspect of like trying different things until, you know, I finally hit the the one that's the winner. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about failure, I just, you know, because I do coach athletes and it's, it's interesting to see people's mindsets when in the differences of how they approach even just workouts every day. And you can see that people really beat themselves up a lot of times if they're not hitting the marks and they're, they're not, you know, meeting those goals. And it's tough for me because I'm like, you might not have met the time goal I, I said to shoot for, but you still ran faster than ever, you know? And I think people just get caught up in that black and white of the the pass fail and and forget to kind of see the bigger picture that it's it's never going to be that black and white and luckily for me that mind shift happened like my mindset changed pretty early on in my adulthood to where I've been able to take advantage of the fact that I don't really come down too hard on myself when I'm not quote you know succeeding if I am hitting a failure and I just realized that it means, you know, I can do probably some better planning and, and maybe need to reevaluate what I really care about with that and, and try again. Um, and the, the more I've kind of worked with athletes, I, I have realized that that's a little bit unique for sure. And not something that comes naturally to people. And the more we can, you know, I can help them develop as athletes to see that it's, it's not the end of the world to have some failures and things like that. Um, it really helps, you know, athletes and, and non-athletes alike. Do you remember any times where you felt specifically like a failure that you were kind of getting down on yourself? Oh, I try and I probably block those out of my <laughs> some sort of like <laughs> psychological reaction where you block those all out. Right. But no, you took a I really mean, big deep breath as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it happens. I think I do so much preparation in a lot of what I do these days that I am I'm able to get one step ahead of a lot of a lot of that, you know. And so I've just learned that the more time you can spend to really invest in that, like planning and training, and that you know, those years that come before the big goals and the big things like that, the, the less likely you are to have these like catastrophic failures. Um, but certainly, I mean, looking at things, there's, it's all the time, you know, especially with just business goals. And certainly, you know, I think as I have continued on this path, I've become more in tune to the fact that like, as I've gotten farther from the corporate world, it will be harder for me to get back there ever as a fallback option, right? So I, I have, I've developed more of an awareness of the fact that 
I need to be building my own business now and making sure that it will survive even when I'm not racing and competing full time because unfortunately, you know, my body will eventually age out of this at some point. And so the business side is definitely the the biggest thing I experience with failure or kind of feeling like even just like I don't understand what's going on sometimes and there's so much skills and things that I need to still learn and figure out um that but it, you know to me it is just that like it's things I need to make time to figure out and maybe right now while I'm racing full time it's not the most ideal time to have to figure some of that business stuff out but little by little you know I make my lists and I say okay like how can I um you know get myself to more speaking engagements in the next two years right and so you just start brainstorming like brainstorming is a great thing because you just list your ideas right and then you kind of figure out like what shakes out and what makes sense and what doesn't and then if you can pick two of those to go after and start prioritizing them because you know i love to i love it when people tell me there's not enough time in the day because it's just a matter of there there isn't for anyone right but like you have to set your priorities and then there's always plenty of time for the things that you're top three that you really want to prioritize. There's time for that. And so I just, I treat everything like that and I recognize that I can't win at all the things, but hopefully that top three, you know, I'm mostly winning at and, and then I go from there. It's almost like this uh, is an ongoing journey. You know, once upon a time, you're working very early with your coach as to saving, which really meant how can you go out and create a foundation so that you can go out and, and race. And obviously you were doing early morning runs and all sorts of things you know, in preparation for, you know, you took some pot shots, I'm assuming at what races you're going to go out and choose because you can't choose all of them. Uh, you know, clearly the uh, Vermont Long Trail was what was a big one to try and it sounds like put yourself on the map as well um, and, and, and huge personal achievement like just blows my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm still in awe about 440 kilometers in, in, in five days. It's just, it's absurd. Like those, those, those sort of numbers, it's just craziness. Um, like, like what an incredible achievement. Um, and obviously, you know, moving, progressing, your body's not going to achieve this you know, for, forever. Um, you know, where do you go to? This never ends, right? You're you're on the uh, well, maybe in some sense we're all on the forever marathon. Uh, just just different ways to kind of look at it. Tell me a little bit about this, you know, the Vermont Long Trail. I mean, obviously it's an incredibly rugged uh, trail, like ridiculous. Uh, you know, for for at least the, the small amount of footage, you know, won't won't um, describe it as as well as you you can. But from the footage I've seen, you know, it's it's rough, you know, go into the Aussie, you know, go into the Aussie bush and kind of imagine there's a tiny little trail that's been carved through, but it goes over, you know, where there's tree branches and, and, and roots coming out and some greener little parts and sections and some rocky, rocky sections that your footing can slip at any minute. It's raining, it's dry, it's windy, it's awful conditions, it's hot, it's cold. Like, you make it sound so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't I mean, describe it, huh? it's um, you know, you really can't describe to people what it is until they're on it, and like, 
even looking at it, you know, to get the record, you crunch the numbers and you say, okay, 273 miles, the record is this, I want to do it in less than, you know, five days, if we're looking at that. And it's like, oh, I just have to hold a three mile per hour average. So it's about five K's an hour, you know, and it's like, oh, you should be able to like a fit person should be able to comfortably walk five K's an hour, right? And like, sure, just keep doing that. And like, then you know, you get on the Vermont long trail and all of a sudden it's like, it turns your sense of time and space and everything upside down. And you're like, oh my God, an hour just passed and I haven't even gone two K's yet. You know, like what is going on? And it's that terrain. So it runs North to South and the North part is on the Canadian border and the Southern portion is right on the Massachusetts border. And it's actually a bit longer than 270. 33 miles because you have to hike in a couple miles to get to the border and then you have to hike out a few miles to get out. So like <laughs> the beginning and end is actually just in the middle of the woods. It's not at a road crossing. So that was, that ends up being a little demoralizing when you're going for a record attempt, but um, more so on the, the end of coming out, like you finished and then you still had to hike three miles to get out of the woods. That was not pretty. Um, but it is, it's, uh, it's, you know, trails on the East coast of the States were not built like the ones out in Western United States where like in Colorado and places like that, a lot of those trails were built for pack animals to be taking the supplies and things for people with them. So those trails often have switchbacks and because the animals can't go straight up. So they kind of built the trail to help with the animal situation. And on the East coast, not a lot of the trails were built that way. It was just kind of like the story behind the Vermont long trail is that, you know, like they, there's a bit of it built and then, you know, someone was standing on a fire tower and was like, it should go this way. And they just built the trail that way, you know, over several 4,000 foot peaks and just literally cut the trail in the direction they wanted to go. And so it, it wasn't very kind on your body and, um, and that sort of thing, but it makes it very, very special for sure, because you do get to see just so many different aspects of Vermont in general, but, you know, like going through that type of terrain really just, it, you know, it pushes you to new levels in ways that you just don't expect, but it also is really rewarding because you are getting like the variability aspect of it. And there's some parts that are just so hard and you're never going to get to the top, but then you get to the top and maybe do you get to cruise down on, you know, a trail that is a little runnable for a while and enjoy that. And you get some really rocky sections and you get sections where your feet are like, your shoes are getting sucked off in the mud, you know, and, and it's just, for anyone who's been on the Vermont long trail, it's just, it's special because everything it throws at you is so difficult. But when you get through it, you know, you've come out like stronger and you've learned something, <laughs> you know, whether it's, um, what do you learn? whether it's something deep or not. Um, you know, I think for me, it was just, it was like the culmination event for me about learning how, you just, you have to set big goals and go for them no matter what it says on paper. And so if you look at the woman who had the record before me, um, Nikki Kimball, she's a phenomenal ultra runner. She's just a legend in the sport. And my accomplishments to date had paled, paled, paled in comparison to the things that she'd done. And I had every reason to just say, 
this wasn't going to work. Like I, I couldn't compete with that. Um, but I actually, I did a scouting trip, you know, um, in the year before the record attempt. And it was my first footsteps on the long trail. And I had gone up there with my mom and she was helping me to be able to shuttle me through some of the sections. And after one day I called my coach Hillary and I said, I don't like, you know, I, I thought three miles an hour was going to be a piece of cake and this is not what I expected. And, you know, she said to me that if the fear of not breaking the record is what's keeping you from going after it, we need to do this project still, you know? And, and I, that was just the most important thing to me to really learn through all of it because it's really easy now in this day and age where I do, I share so much of my life online with the people who are following. And I, I forget that sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, to the audience, like if I'm successful or failing in a way, you know, like they just want to see you try. And so you can't let that fear of failure of like letting people down or being embarrassed because you failed or something like that hold you back from even starting. And so I'm really glad and I'm I'm just so fortunate that Hillary has that mindset too and was willing to kind of, you know, nudge me forward a little bit when I started to doubt that because I'm, you know, I'm I'm truly grateful and really happy that everything I put into it ended up getting me the record, but had it not, like it would have been a phenomenal experience either way and definitely one that would have been life-changing for me regardless and totally worthwhile to have done. Because even if you didn't break the record, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing for you participating and trying and getting through that incredible feat still would have taught you that lesson of even if it's fear that's holding you back, it's still worth doing that. Uh, you know, what, what you learned, I'm assuming in those five days and probably many, many months prior, uh, what was was set your sights to something bigger, something more meaningful, something important, and, and pursue it irrespective of the hell you're about to go through. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you it's so easy to put these big goals and dreams and just always kind of push them off, you know, because it is, it's just so big and it's so scary. But to really make yourself, you know, and people can come up with a million reasons that are great reasons of not to do it, you know, like family and kids and how they find the time and the money and everything like that. Like those are all really good reasons, but I just have found that by doing all of that, I was just, I was investing in myself and, you know, it's a little bit silly that (laughs) to make myself the such, you know, what I'd consider the best version of myself and, I have to go run 273 miles, you know, but I think people know that if they're, if you're doing it for the right reason, if you're really doing it for yourself, then it doesn't matter if you're passing or failing in the end. Um, You know, there's certainly people who do it for the extrinsic motivation of like getting the accolades from other people. And I think that makes failure a lot tougher. And so luckily for me, you know, a lot of this has truly been just where my heart has sent me. And um, that's, that's made it a little bit more worthwhile for me. How do you physically and, and mentally prepare, train for, you know, the Vermont 
long trail. How I know that you mentioned obviously it's an accumulation of you know two thousand and uh, you know six onwards really. Um, uh, but how do you prepare? You know, both physically, what 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 did your training look like, but mentally as well. So physically, I was training about thirty five hours a week, um, and. I wasn't actually running. So like if you talk to elite marathoners, you know, they'll talk to them and they're running 80 to 120 miles a week, like crazy, crazy run miles and things like that. And I actually wasn't running a ton because I knew that the long trail was so much about like just that three mile an hour, like hiking pace, you know, like I had to be able to run parts of it, but I really had to just be strong to keep moving for what was going to be my goal of 20 hours a day. So that was kind of the the thought that we had was that if I'm if I'm going for 20 hours a day and then I have those 4 hours each day to like sleep and rest um that would hopefully get me there to the end, right? So it was it was physically a lot of I do a lot of like when I was doing that weighted hiking. So I'd put 25 to 30 pounds in like a weight vest and um, when I was training, I spent some time in Vermont training in the month before. And so I would hike up and down the ski slopes up there, um, with the weight vest, like for hours on end. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, and it's bo- like a lot of people just don't want to do that stuff. And so that's, you know, but like I was ready to do it cause I knew that's what it would take. And, um, it was honestly the training, nothing was, again, it was never this like rocket science of a formula it was kind of an overall mindset shift of we need to get Alyssa prepared to move for 20 hours a day. So I shifted my mindset to be like anything possible was training. So typically like if I'm training for Ironman, I do my training and then I want to put my feet up and I want to rest and relax as much as I can. And like, that's very important to be able to recover, to do the next session for the next day or something. But when I was getting ready for the long trail, I had to like, you know, anything was training. So it was like, okay, I did my prescribed workout for the day. And then now I'm going to go take my dog for like a five mile walk, which I would never do on a normal time. Right. Like, and then I'm going to go grocery shopping and that's more time on my feet where I have to be like thinking and moving. And like, I mean, as dumb as it sounds to think that like grocery shopping was training, like there's a lot of days in Ironman training where I would like outsource. I'd have my groceries delivered to me, (laughs) you know, but um, in the, like the long trail is just about learning to embrace the fact that I would be moving and doing things and tired all day long and like, and learning how to be somewhat happy to do all that, you know? And again, so that was calories and learning to fuel and things like that was a big part of it. Um, you know, and again, like then in the afternoon you do a, a few hours on the bike and again, cause it was just learning to be moving and physically active for as long as you could through the time of the day. Um, and then, you know, logistically, honestly, was it, I would say 50% of that, that planning and that preparation was having the, uh, discipline to take out the maps and like plan to a T. I mean, my boyfriend and I had, ordered like the game of life. I don't know if you guys have the game of life in Australia, but well, like, I do actually. The, yeah. The, the wheel and the cars and the peg people. And the car. so we had ordered the cars and the peg people so that we could take out our map and simulate how this was all going to work because we had to figure out and plan ahead of time. Like, 
Alyssa's running, who is she running with? And then how are the crew, which car will meet them where and what people will shuffle and then get back in the car to leapfrog to the next point. And what will the other car be doing? You know, and like that logistics was crazy. And so, cause there is no, like, you know, you go to do an Ironman or a triathlon and you look up the athlete guide, you download it, you print it out and you have everything you need for the event at your fingertips. And like, there is no athlete guide for the Vermont long trail. And so that was, you know, and I think it was a part of what drew me to the challenge too, was because it was just this extra piece of the puzzle. Like, could we figure this part out too? And cause that was going to be, you know, I could be as physically prepared in the world, but if my crew wasn't ready to meet me at the right spot with my food and my water, then I wasn't going to make it. So that, you know, we had to certainly devote a lot of time and energy into that. And, um, luckily I, I'm, um, I have a lot of friends who are also professional athletes or elite level athletes. And so I didn't have, you know, a shortage of people who were kind of chomping at the bit to get involved and make time for this. And that was really special to me. And so I was able to kind of bring in some of my closest friends and family to go on this adventure with me, which was, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, just the highlight of, of life so far. What an absolutely incredible or inspiring sort of event to, to go out and effectively start from scratch. You're, you're designing a whole methodology completely by yourself. And, and, and it sounds like in some sense that that naiveness that you brought into the JFK 50, uh, although you're much wiser and, and, and more insightful now, you, you kind of had to go in and just reinvent it and start it all over again and just say, well, yeah, we'll have a car stop there and then someone will probably need to trek in to meet, meet us there and they've got to bring this food, that food, this amount of drinks. You're just making it up. There's no one to go out and call on. You're you're just kind of saying, this kind of sounds reasonable. That kind of fits roughly what we think would be the right way. And the rest is about, you know, push, push and and, and go and and believe in yourself. Some, you know, obviously incredible mindset to, to break it down even in terms of just saying my training is to keep on my feet for, you know, and become fit, you know, to, to be on my feet, to be moving for 20 hours a day that, 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 well, at least not, not your training, but, but, but in preparation for five days of 20, 20 hour days, 20 hour, 20 hour physical days, absolutely phenomenal. And you're like in, in, incredible. I don't, I don't imagine there's uh, uh, too many others out there who, can appreciate what it means not only to, to do that level of work, but everything that goes into it where you're completely 100% making stuff up, you know, and, and, and putting it all in. I mean, this is the greatest recipe for, for failure. I mean, how, how scary is that? You're starting from scratch. You know, you, no one's giving you a recipe of saying this is what's going to work, Alyssa. Yeah. And I, you know, I always joke and say like, more interesting than talking to me about the long trails, probably talking to the crew at some point And, I still to this day don't know a lot of what was happening behind the scenes, you know, like, I mean, once we, we said go, it was, I just had to walk and run for 273 miles. Like my life was pretty straightforward for the next five days at that point. And, you know, for them though, it was, it was like there, as much as we planned, obviously there, we couldn't think of everything ahead of time. And so for sure that was part of like, why I had picked the crew that I had picked and 
the level of trust I had in them to make the right decisions was, was huge. And I knew I had the best people out there to be doing that for me. But I, I think from their perspective too, like, you know, I mean, for them, for me, I had been looking at things every single day for about a year, you know, planning and going through it. And I knew it forward and backwards, but some of them like have families and kids and they had newborn babies and things like that at the time. So, I mean, their level of familiarity with it was like, they flew in 24 hours in advance, but like, I knew these people had just that same, get this done. You know, like there is no, there is no option for failure. You know, we keep you going. It's just a matter of how we keep you going. And so I knew I had those people surrounding me, um, which was important. I mean, you could easily have a crew of people who are, are so well-intentioned and so kind, but would easily, you know, hear you say you're tired or this hurts or that hurts at some point and then say like, oh, do you need another break? Or like, things like you know, like they were not giving me extra breaks. They were not giving me opportunities <laughs> to quit. They were, you know, I, I was going no matter what I said or did or like, I mean, I had to bargain with them for a nap in the last 24 hours. And I just remember, you know, like I remember looking at them and they're looking at me and I was like, I need to sleep. And they, you know, they're looking at their watch because they knew really what we, I was so out of it by then with the lack of sleep that I, I didn't really have the ability to figure out where I was in terms of the record. And so these people, I mean, they, they got it done and they were the ones that really, you know, I physically did it, but they kept me going. It's a team effort. It's a it's a team effort without uh, their, their their support and, and and truth of the matter is although you were the one putting in the weight jackets and the like in the many many uh, months prior and obviously prior training it still is a team effort of people who encourage you along the way and obviously people on 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 the day was there a um was there a finish line yeah so there's they have this like wooden sign and it says it's like pointed towards the Massachusetts side and it says like, welcome to the Vermont long trail. And it gives a little paragraph about, um, about the Vermont long trail. And so touching that sign was definitely, you know, the finish line and the last 5k leading up to that was by far. I mean, you talk about like moments where you really wanted to quit. Like that was a moment where I, I just didn't know if I would make it like, I mean, I wanted to get there, sure, but like my body was in such poor form at that point that um, the blisters on my feet and everything was just in such bad condition that it was like literally everything was just saying no more, you know. And um, what did again, you have like, to walk through? Were you were you were you fatal? You know, damaged, beaten up, you know, in blisters. What 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 do you have to walk through to to do that sort of achievement? Yeah. I mean, you're going through, so like literally the terrain you mean, or no, no, in terms of the pain, the injuries, uh, oh. your, your, your body must be aching. Just yeah. I mean, the pain in your life, I mean, it's just muscle pain to the degree that you can't even imagine anymore, you know? And then the, Honestly, the, the worst of it for me was probably just the condition of my feet because Vermont has such wet, muddy conditions that your feet are soaked. Like no matter how many times you change your socks and shoes, which we did all the time, 
your feet just get so saturated and so wet and the skin just blisters and like the blisters aren't normal. They're like deep, deep inside your feet and your toenails are like, they're, they're forming under your toenails and it's, it's just disgusting. Like it's so, and at one point they were pulling, just pulling skin off of my feet and like, you know, having to literally just kind of like duct tape almost like the backs of my feet and things to like repair that. I mean, there's, there is no repairing. It's like just to literally try and put, you know, some kind of a band aid on top of that. And so you're, for me, for sure, it was just that the wet, wet feet um, was something I had never experienced. And like just the pain that's with every single movement of doing that. So like if I could have walked on my hands, you know, at some point, and then I could have kept going for a while longer, I think, but like just having to always be using your feet is just so, so hard. Um, and then the sleep deprivation, like aside from the physical pain, you know, the, the sleep deprivation was something I hadn't really experienced to that degree before. And it's just gnarly. Like, I mean, it's like feeling drunk, but knowing you're not drunk and then not being able to do anything to get yourself out of that state where just like, you know, and I was trying to take caffeine and that would work for like 15 minutes. I'd have like a really clear, clear sense of stuff. And then it would just go away after 15 minutes. And like, you would try like, and when I would lay down for a 15 minute nap, like my face would just be twitching because I had had so much caffeine that like my muscles were just going, but like my body was just so tight, you know, and it's, you just, you're losing control over everything. And your mind is just thinking like, all I could think about was sleep and, you know, and there's just no way around that. Once you get fixated on that and you know that that's the only thing that's going to really make you just start feeling better. You can't no longer do the tricks that you've learned through Ironman and everything else work because like you're smarter than that, you know, like you've tried everything. You just, you literally need sleep and you, you can't have it yet. So that was in those last hours was just slowing me down a lot and, and making it. But when we, when we saw that sign finally pop up out of the woods, um, that was one of the best feelings ever. And like, again, I was so sleep deprived. I don't even know if I could really appreciate it at that point, but, um, it was, it, you know, and to have a moment like that where you're in the middle of the woods surrounded by nothing. And yet I had, some close friends there to be there with me was like, it's just so surreal, you know? Um, and it's, it's not like an event where you finish and you get a check and you're, you know, given a medal and all that. Like, it was like, we touched the sign, we gave some hugs, we like high fived. And then we were like, all right, now we got to get out of the woods, you know? So again, like it's those kinds of things aren't about the finish line per se. It's about everything that you learned along the way and you'll be able to take with you from that. Like the finish line was great for sure. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was definitely bigger than that. That's absolutely incredible. The, the amount of pain and suffering and anguish you must have gone through with your feet just broken, blistered, you know, raw, wet the whole time. Uh, yeah. It, it, it was probably helpful that you were so, uh, sleep deprived and and disorientated and you know probably you know 
detached from 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 some of the experience because how does someone go through that much pain and and keep doing it and keep doing it and you know insult at the end is sure you've done that now you've got three more you know kilometers or miles to get out of here <laughs> but what an incredible achievement i mean huge congratulations i know that uh you know, it, 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 it's something that doesn't come without incredible cost, but, uh, you know, it's something you can take with yourself forever. I mean, well, uh, I, I feel inspired just, just uh, hearing it, this journey of yours. You know, last night I actually went for a bit of a run in anticipation of our, our chat. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, it, it was only six kilometers and, and I don't do any training thing or anything like that, but, um, uh, I felt like I accomplished something, you know, it's, it's probably only a point, point oh three of, 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 uh, you know, what, what, what you traversed, but, uh, it still feels special. Um, uh, there's, there's something about pushing oneself and personal growth and doing something hard. Um, and, and, you know, I think what, 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 what you've done, you know, from, from a perspective of what psychology tries to offer, you know, is, is, is really second to none that there's the, this experience of being able to go through pain, suffering in, in, in the service of something much more important is, is, is everything. So um, that's incredible. How did you celebrate? What, what happens after that? Uh, do, you, do you kind of bandage your, 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 your feet up and sit up for a few weeks? What, what do you do? How do you kind of, uh, you know, yeah, we we went to a diner. So that was like step one. It was like, go to a diner and get some real food. And we must have looked like zombies because the, the woman was like, where have you guys been? <laughs> and so then it was early morning when we finished. And so we just uh, went back to the, the house I had rented at the finish line for us and just kind of slept and decompressed. But I, you know, it's like, again, like the rental cars needed to go back, the gear needed to get clean, you know, there's a lot of things that went along with it. But it for sure the icing on the cake was doing all of that knowing we had we had the record and it was all all there um and then i spent a little bit of time later in vermont like i knew i would want to stay a little bit longer and not have to rush myself out of there i couldn't honestly walk very far for quite a while like once my body realized it was done it was really done and um the recovery aspect of that is is not to be skimped over um it was weeks before i was really sleeping well again and um, that took a lot of just like patience and, um, more patience to let my body just take the time it needed to recover. Um, I didn't want to shortcut that because I knew I still had a career ahead of me with other things. And so I needed to do the recovery properly. And, um, you know, luckily because we had the record, I, I did get a bit of attention. And so I was able to spend time, you know, doing some podcasts and telling the stories and, writing up some of the the fun things that have happened. And, um, you know, that kind of took my mind off the fact that maybe I was sitting around a lot more than I normally would have been otherwise in those weeks afterwards. Is there a book coming out or anything like that? Uh, where, where can people find out more about, you know, your journey, uh, you know, what, what you've done, what you continue to do. I know at the moment you're in New Zealand uh, in preparation for another event. Um, how can people find out more about you know, what you do and, and, and get in touch? Yeah, I still keep a blog. I don't think blogs are too big of a thing these days, but I do it um, at my website, alyssagadeski.com. And uh, I'm spending this year, so 2020 will be 
kind of the first six months are triathlon related. And then I am, I'm taking on another trail adventure in the summer. So I'll officially announce that uh, coming up later. I'm in the planning stages still for that. Um, but that'll be an adventure for later in the summer of 2020. So um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Alyssa Gadeski, And I love to interact with people who are, um, you know, interested in and want to talk about these kinds of things. So definitely reach out and um, yeah, just follow along. I, it, you know, it's nice to know that people are interested in this kind of thing and that keeps me moving. So I love it. I think what's interesting is, is that inspiration of what, what you said quite, quite early on in the piece in terms of the, these are skills that a, a lot of us would like to be able to see in ourselves and when we do see it in, in someone else where, you know, in, in some sense can't shy away from it, that, that you know, uh, certainly not taking away by any means what, what you have achieved. I don't think anyone can. Uh, it's it, it's awe inspiring. But what you're saying is we all have these capacities you know, available to us. You know, there are plenty of reasons not to push. Uh, but if we find something that we have very strong reason for that, that idea of do it, you know, push for it. You know, if it, if it requires standing for, for 20 hours or moving for 20 hours, start training for that, you know, put those limitations away. Um, and, and you might be surprised about what you can achieve. Um, incredibly inspiring. I know that um, taking you away probably from precious uh, training time and, um, you know, more, more uh, hitting the pavements, but, uh, very, very much appreciate, you know, your story. Um, I, I myself are just wildly inspired. I'll be going back out there tonight to have another, another go at some pain and some suffering. Uh, hopefully I'll learn, learn a little bit more again tonight, but it just kind of, uh, is, is, is so nice to know there's a community out there. Uh, there's a family out there that, uh, you know, are, are all pushing themselves to, 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 to learn something, to, to, to better themselves, whether it be from a, you know, trying to make a career out of it, a professional uh, work out of it, or people who, who enjoy trying to create that better version of themselves. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you'll be getting out there again. And like you said, you just, there's always reasons not to do it. You just have to find the one reason why you should do it or why you want to do it and hold on to that kind of, and let that push you through it. So um, I've had a lot of fun chatting. This is actually my first like psychology oriented podcast with all of this. So I enjoyed getting to chat with you. So thanks so much for having me on and taking the time. No, I appreciate it. And look, the, I think the mental game is, is, is what it's all about. It's so hard, whether it be, you know, ultra marathon running or, or having a career, raising children, trying to figure out your own identity as a young person, whatever it might be, it's all a mental, mental game. And you clearly have you know, a lot of experience in that. So I appreciate you sharing with us and uh, with our audience. And I hope I can maybe uh, convince you to come back on at some, some time to d- d- discuss where things have moved forward for you. And um, yeah, I wish you the best in, in whatever that next chapter is. And obviously the event, the event in New Zealand. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Nash. Talk to you soon. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. 
And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.